Hello, Australia. Welcome to Wish You'd Known. This is a podcast for the risk advisor, for the advisor who does a bit of risk in business, the upcoming advisor. We're all about risk here, aren't we, Danny? I love risk, the risky risk, business. Risk and risk. Yeah. <laughs> and, risky business. And risky business. So, Danny, we've got Vince Scully with us today. Yeah, and I'd like to, before we cut to the conversation, I'd like to thank Zurich and Wampa for bringing this to life. They've helped us with the production costs, and I want to say that these are our own natural opinions, none of that reflects any institution. So that's hopefully the value of this chat. But thank you to Zurich One Path for sponsoring it and trying to improve the quality of advice. Yeah. And I've had great, ex- like I'm now a retired financial advisor for those that might be new to the podcast. I've personally had great experience with One Path Zurich over the last 12 years. Um, and they don't even pay us to say that, but there we go. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we've got a very special guest who we've been ignoring until now. So welcome, Vince. Thank you for having me. So Vince Scully, uh, I met you in 2017. Uh, we were at a financial bloggers conference in Dallas, Texas, of all places. And, you know, we hit it off, you know, a lot in common. We like the online thing. I was an advisor at the time wanting to transition to this online thing. You run Life Sherpa. And I believe you're the first financial advisor slash advice practice in Australia to be 100% online. Tell us about Life Sherpa, what it is today, how you do it. And I want to ask you some questions because Danny, I've seen Vince in my risk advisor, the Facebook group, and he ruffles feathers and we can all learn from I don't every- ruffle feathers. <laughs> Unlike yourself, Glenn. Yeah, that's right. So My feathers are smooth. <laughs> yeah. For now. For now. <laughs> we'll check in at the end. Vince, Life Sherpa, what's the 101? Life Sherpa is an online financial advice destination aimed at the needs of younger people. And by younger, well, most people are younger than me, but by younger, I mean late 20s to early 40s. And they're going through life's three big events of what I call coupling, nesting and parenting which drives the biggest demand for debt. So they're gonna have the biggest home loans they're ever gonna have. And that means they've got the biggest risk they're ever gonna have because they've got the biggest debt they've ever had. They've got young kids, a long way to retirement and a few assets. And those two products alone amount to two thirds of all fees and commissions paid for advice in Australia. And yet everyone's ignoring these people. Mm. So we set out to- Or perhaps not being able to engage them in a way that's meaningful to them. Yep. And, and obviously there's the problem. I think a lot of people are trying, but they haven't cracked it. And the, the problem is how do you do it profitably? I think that's the bigger problem. I think everyone recognises that of the 8.6 million households in Australia, probably less than two of them, less than two million of them, take advice today. Mm. Which given there's 19,000 financial advisors, that's about 100 each, which is not a bad business. Yeah. So I don't think we're here to disrupt this industry. We're about just extending it to the the rest of the population, and we've identified 1.7 million households who are in above average income, have less than $100,000 to invest and are in POYG. And so that's the audience we set out to deliver. And that's key to it about identifying a cohort that is relatively homogenous. And so we took a lot of the costs out of delivering advice by investing in technology. And there's over a million dollars of technology behind behind the business. And Vince, can I just take you back because I think like you're, we were talking earlier and your story is really interesting. You've, like I've only spent a little bit of time with you this morning and you've got a very detailed brain and I think that it'd be really nice for you to share your your background of what what you've, you know, your life experience, but also you've embarked upon this life Sherpa 
model with a lot of science. It hasn't been happenstance. So could you talk us through that a little bit? Sure. Well, this brain is buried in a lot of, a lot of hair, so it keeps warm. Yeah, so the having been it through running an advice business, I sold my previous advice business to Mark Boris in 2007. And that was a traditional, more traditional That was model? a traditional. So a typical client had a million dollars and was 65, and we were running MDAs back in 2005. Um, and, yeah, that typical client was paying $30,000 a year in fees. So that was a... So high-end so advice. So high-end advice. Great client book. Yeah, very tight, very high touch, um, you know, individual stocks, uh, individual portfolios, and expensive. And But it was profitable because obviously the, if someone's paying you $30,000, you can... They see value. Yep. Um, and you've got to bloody give it as well. That's the, that's the kicker, right. right? But one of the things that kept striking me in that is the things that was making these clients excited wasn't the fact that we were making them 1% more a year or saving them in tax. It was actually the little things. I used to, We had one client, she was in her 70s, maybe 80s, or late 70s. She had a 40-year-old boyfriend and we looked after a few million dollars for her. And the two things obsessed her, she wanted a health card, a senior's health card, as it was in those days, and she wanted to make sure the boyfriend didn't get the money. So the, it's the most important thing we did for this woman in her mind was get her health card. She was in rude good health, never spent, never went to the doctor and had a few million dollars. Like she did not need it, but that was the thing that he turned, her, turned her on. But that speaks to knowing your client and delivering it their does. perceived That's right. value. Yeah. So it's not about, yeah, what, what was the investment decisions we made for her, whether she got 0.2% more or 0.5% more. That just was irrelevant. Um, but that was what turned her on. But the point of that long story really was about saying, not only do you have to know your client, but there's a whole bunch of people who just aren't getting that sort of help and they're being ignored because they are perceived as being unprofitable. So you're, you know, that's one end of the spectrum. So if you slide it down the other end, you're you're dealing with people who are, you know, that Rice Warner report that came out recently said that we want to pay $500 for a comprehensive plan. When you ask the public what advice costs, that's what they're prepared to pay. This is now the sort of collective of people we're now speaking about. That's right. And so they are, they're young, so they're accumulators. Um, they don't have a lot of money and they're learning. So what do we have to do to service their needs? Um Profitably. Profitably, yes, that's, that's a good point. This is not a charity. You've got to be able to – well, we concluded there were three things we had to get right to make this work. And the first one was being able to find them cheaply. Cost of acquisition is the biggest cost in, a, in an advice business. All business. All businesses probably. Um, but it gets hidden in advice business because it's the advisor going having coffee with the local lawyer or accountant to get referrals. But – this group of people don't have an advice relationship with anyone. So they, how do you get them in? Yeah. They might have a tax agent that does their return, but that's a transaction. They might have seen a mortgage broker once if, they've, if they're already a homeowner. So we need to be able to get them directly, and that really means being online. And you can't do that by pure advertising because the cost will kill you. Do you think this recent trend of um, 
and I'll, I'll call it over the last three years, you've got personal finance podcasts out there. You've got these fintokers now. Do you think as a collective, as society, um, the money discussion is now happening in a very social way, front of mind for a lot of under 30s, which has probably helped your cause with that. I can get advice. I don't need to go into an office. I don't need to make this big deal and book an appointment and do yeah, all this. It, it definitely has helped. Um, and it's a bit of a two-edged sword though, um, that it's great because people are talking about it and it's no longer the taboo that it was. Um, certainly when I started working, you would never tell anyone what you earned and you certainly wouldn't say, I've got too much debt. Um, whereas now people are talking about it. The downside is there's a lot of misinformation out in the blogosphere or particularly on TikTok, um, which means that people are getting access to poorer quality advice. So our job as advisors really is to demonstrate our value. And it's not about information. There's more information you possibly poke it's a stick at. It's an information highway, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and that's why, like, you know, it's no surprise to people, most people listening that I run the My Millennial Money podcast, the whole intent for that was to actually just gif wrap a listener ready for an advice relationship. Yep. Which is different to what a lot of other media players are delivering. So if you if you read the Telegraph on a Sunday, it's all about giving up your morning coffee mm. and, well, not, and not eating smashed avocado. A, a journalist. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, you were saying that the cost of acquisition is one of those things, is one of the biggest costs that a business would. So when you're doing that $500 sort of advice proposition, you can then bring that cost of acquisition down. And it's hidden in most practices because it's time. Yeah, okay. So, so you've addressed that cost. Yeah. So I actually acquire. did that analysis in my previous business. Okay. And despite the fact I never spent a cent on advertising, it was costing me $20,000 to bring on a new client. All from referrals and we were converting two out of three. And that's just time and meetings and analysis. So it you had to charge them $30,000 a year to break even. Yeah. Whereas we're looking at a group of people who, you know, could start by buying a twenty four ninety five book or a home loan or insurance or whatever. And so you can't afford to spend 20000 bringing them on. Yeah. So you've got to be able to create this journey where you go from information to an outcome. And so what you're referring to, and, and please forgive me if I'm butchering the title, but you've kind of built a no like, and trust funnel. Is that, is that with, your con with content online yeah. and is that how you're bringing the cost to acquire down? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd use no like, yep. and trust. It's become a bit of a, a, tr yeah. a trendy buzzword that just gets bandied around. But it is about turning information into a journey. So, for example, we have a pre-marriage course, which we call our Money Vows Program. So... You know, young couple get engaged at 28, first time they're dealing with money as a couple, probably going to be buying a house soon. So how do we take them on the journey from, actually, I've got lots of debts, just got married, just spent another $30,000 on a wedding, and I want to buy a house. Mm. They might have good jobs, but how do we take them from there to... Where they want to be. Where, which is so that trans you actually map that transformation yeah. journey out yeah. um, through to, and that helps you get it. What are the other two costs that you've actually addressed to get this advice cost down? And the second one is the one where most of the investment has happened in the industry, which is about empowering the advisor. So all those tools around 
um, making sure that the advisor has the information from the client, that they can, they don't have to write statements of advice, the machine does it, they needs analysis is all done. This is your tech investment. This is where the yeah. tech investment, so we built all that into Salesforce. And so that allows an advisor to spend more hours facing clients. So that tech allows an advisor to spend 111 hours a month client facing. Mm. Can I go into the weeds a little bit and tell me sure. to shut up and go away if it's too private? Um, you know, a no, lot Transparency of, is what we do. That's right, yeah. So, as, you know, when I was an advisor, you'd go to your licensee, they would provide, you know, your ex-plans of the world or your midwinters or name your XYZ. You've gone, I will get a uh, enterprise commercial system uh, agnostic to any particular industry. And because it's highly customizable, I will turn that into how I want my process to be. Exactly. So we built the process first and then mapped it into the system. And most of those tools like Coin, XPlan, VisiPlan, whatever they're called, they're largely built around a dealer group centric advice practice where- And dealer group compliance. And compliance. Because a lot of it is about the dealer group being able to see into the advice practice and go- are they actually following the rules? Which is obviously critical if you're a dealer group. Mm. But from an advisor perspective, that's not actually adding value. So uh, Money Shop is the dealer group that you own. Correct. You've got your own AFSL. We, and credit license, yeah. And credit license. Do you, the other advisors under your quote-unquote dealer group, is it build your own CRM or do they piggyback on the uh, Life Sherpa no, the, system? The, the Life Sherpa back office system is fundamentally around this group of people. Yeah. So it doesn't really work, well, it hasn't been built to work with- A self-employed advisor. Self-employed or a client who's a pre-retiree where you've got to deal with Centrelink and aged care. And finally, Vince, on the Salesforce, like that's expensive. Yep. Like what type of cost are you paying in your Salesforce fees? Well, the Salesforce fees themselves aren't particularly expensive. So it's about $150 a seat right. per month. Right. Um, but it's actually all the add-ons. So the marketing automation bit, that's actually the expensive bit. And that's probably, well, probably shouldn't mm. tell, but it's thousands of dollars a month. And then every time you buy another product, like if you – you use Zapier mm. and you want to integrate it into Salesforce, you've actually got to buy the premium version of Zapier. Mm. So it cranks up all your other costs and the cost of customising it, you know, to try and get someone to do some work for you and a small project is really hard to do. So we've ended up building those resources largely in-house with a small group on retainer as well. Yeah. So that's where it gets expensive. So yeah, a big investment for platform. Yeah, yeah. You would not do this as a sole practitioner. Yeah, right. So there's obviously a level of scale that you need to make that model work that you, you're doing now. Could you just explain in a nutshell the, the packages that you're offering? Because you were providing this really detailed, intricate advice that was $30,000 a year to high-end clients. And now we're at the other end of the scale. What do those packages look like? Well, it's all menu-based. So the point being that you can pick a, a known price for a known service. One of the two biggest barriers to people getting advice is I don't know what it's going to cost and my affairs aren't really complex enough and I don't have enough money and I'm not sure I trust you anyway. So by being very explicit that, you know, 
a superannuation review is $499. You know exactly what you're getting and you know what it's going to cost you. Um, so we can start with a, a basic membership, could be $15 a month, and that gets you access to all of our online tools and access to an advisor to ask Are questions. Are they cash flow management tools? No, uh, what, what tools do you the, have The there? big one is what we call a financial freedom factor quiz, which allows a, somebody to diagnose where they're at across our methodology. And so it gives them eight scores and tips and tools to improve those scores. And as they work through that exercise, it guides them to engaging with an advisor. So step four is prepare for the unexpected, during which they're going to you know, learn about having an emergency stash, uh, understand what insurance is, review what they've got. So you're educating them very softly about the problems that they have that they don't know at that stage. So you're making that quite a low bar and saying, these are actually the problem. You're it's, that's brilliant. Yep. So it's creating problem awareness and solution awareness. So by the time they work their way down through that and click the book a call with an advisor button. I know the problem that that they, advisor they needs come, to They solve. come to that discussion knowing the problem they're trying to solve, like I need to sort this income protection stuff out. I sort of know what it does. And so the advisor now comes to that discussion with the fact find being done, the client knowing what insurance is. So you cut out that 30-minute discussion about this is what insurance and is. And expectation and then delivery is quite seamless then. Yeah, and so that that advisor discussion is much more productive. So you And it's really a guidance and coaching exercise, which is where the Sherpa analogy comes from, that the advisor is really fulfilling your needs and taking you on that journey through, in the case of insurance, you know, through needs analysis, underwriting, and putting the thing in place. I'm going to throw a little curly question into the mix around what are your views on there's so many people now stepping into the money coaching space and sort of, well, I'm not an advisor, but I'm a money coach. What are your views on that and how do you delineate and, and I guess stay between the flags of one or the other? Like what, yeah, could you share your views on that? That's that's what think something that's happening a lot of, and I think there's a lot of rebranding happening here that younger people are much more comfortable with the concept of coaching compared to advice. So rebranding what we do as advisors as coaching is probably a good thing because we're speaking our audience's language. When you try and take that outside the regulated advice space, which we're seeing a huge amount of in the US, like the, the money coach business in the US, which is unregulated, and there's a fair bit of it happening here. We're seeing people That's like... That's unlike the US. <laughs> it's freedom and democracy, baby. The world's greatest centrally planned economy. Mm -hmm. um, but we are... <laughs> pew, pew. <laughs> we are moving here to a growing number of people trying to do money coaching or wealth coaching or spending coaching. And reduce coaching. That, that compliance yeah. burden, yeah. But, you know, there's a couple of, I think, fundamental problems with it. One, getting outside the regulations actually harder than you think. So when you look at the definition of general advice, you know, a statement of opinion that's likely to influence someone's decision to buy or sell a financial product, well, saying, I think you should have four bank accounts to manage your spending, that's probably general advice. And if it's done in the course of a business, that's advice that needs a licence. Does it need a statement of advice? Probably not, but it does need a licence. So if you're going to have a coaching discussion and never, ever mention a product or a class of products, 
And that's the word, Vince, class. Yes. You open your trap and say superannuation, you've left that general advice line two yards behind you. Yep. Um, So as soon as you're expressing an opinion about a product or class of products, you're into general advice. And so that's the regulatory problem. The practical problem is if you can't deal with the product side of it, it's like going to the doctor and the doctor going, look, you've got third degree melanoma, you need to take this drug. Now go down to the road to your pharmacist and negotiate the dosage and the price. It just, it just misses the two points. It doesn't and address the need. I'm not sure it makes it any more attractive either. And it does open consumers to risk of charlatans moving into this space. So I think it's dangerous where it strays into that unregulated space. I think we as advisors... Yeah, we're part coach, part therapist, part investment manager. So we need to be doing coaching so that we can get our clients to a position where they can defend their the advice that they've taken So at the barbecue. So, for example, if you say, look, I, I've been advised to invest in a net wealth super wrap and smart Uncle Fred at the barbecue on the weekend goes, I'm in host plus, you should be in host plus, why are you paying more for this? So to understand why that advice is right for them is actually nine-tenths of what we've got to do. So, so young advisors should really work on articulating a story that their clients can re-articulate as to why, in a simple, very simple way, as to why they've been placed in their particular strategies. So that they don't go, well, my advisor says. They've got to really... We've got to get our clients to the position where they can go, this is why I'm in this product and this is why that two shillings and sixpence product over there doesn't actually meet my needs. So going back to the advice model that you've got, Vince, um, it's a subscription model starting at around 15 bucks a month for members to have access to a variety of things in the portal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about a menu earlier. Uh, one of the items on the menu is a four ninety nine super review. I know in the facial group, you've got a bit of whiplash or throwback or whatever backlash, whatever the word is. I think in the civil service that would be called bullying. Bullying, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, you're confidently able to provide a superannuation advice comprehensive advice uh, for four ninety nine. Well, I think you want to understand what comprehensive means in that context, but... Yes. So I want you to talk about insurance advice. You rebate some of the com back to the member. So talk to us about those two things. Cool. And is that doing a disservice to the greater financial advice community? Okay. Um, <laughs> um no is the short answer, but the real, the, the, the real answer is by taking the costs out of the exercise by investing in technology and building scale, we pass that on to the consumer. So where there's no commission involved, we charge a fixed fee. And for a superannuation review, that will be $4.99 and then $40 a month for ongoing portfolio management. And that covers a review of your existing fund. And is that $40 a month coming off super platform? Correct. Yep. So that includes a review of your existing fund. And in most cases, that's a single strategy public offer fund. A, you know, 
goals, objectives, circumstances analysis, like full fact find, and a recommendation of a asset allocation and implementation. Most, I believe, uh, to do a comprehensive super review, you really have to include insurance. Exactly. So talk to us about that bridge. And, and you're right, that's part of the, the offering. So it's almost impossible to do a super review without also looking at insurance. So most people who come for super will also do insurance and vice versa. So if they come in for insurance, they're almost certainly going to do super. So the two tend to run together. But with insurance, there is commission payable and dialing it down to zero delivers a suboptimal outcome to the consumer for two reasons. One, the lapse rates that are assumed in the dial down. And secondly, there's a GST inefficiency because our consumers aren't registered for GST. So we take full commission and if that exceeds our price for doing the job, we'll rebate the excess. So it means that if your annual premium is about $2,500 or more and you're a LifeSherpa member, you will get a rebate of the excess, upfront and trail. So for a, a risk and super SOA, it's still the four ninety nine. So four ninety nine plus the the minimum com, or the maximum com. Yeah, and then my other question to that is, most members pay fifteen dollars a month. Yep. The data that I know of, uh, just from going to you know the influencer conferences and the FinCon stuff, most people bank on eighteen months as a bit of an average membership for subscription. What in your view, is the tenure of that client. And also, the more society goes on, loyalty means nothing. Like we used to get the odd client that would come call out the blue ones go, oh yeah, I'm not using you anymore. And it was just like, oh, what? But it just happens more and more because they're not engaged and loyalty is yeah. just not there. So I think you've got to understand what subscription means. That if you think about subscription like a Netflix subscription, you're right that there is a an attrition in that because if you don't feel like you're getting the services for it, you don't watch enough movies, you cancel your Netflix subscription. But if you think about a subscription in the context of roadside assistance, right? I've had NRMA roadside assistance for 25 years and I've never called them out. Do I feel unhappy about my $140 a year? No, I don't. So our membership is roadside assistance for your money. So it's the ability to call an advisor whenever you've got a or contact an advisor whenever you've got a question without having to go and find one and brief them. And how are you adapting to annual renewal? Uh, well, these are all monthly renewals. Interesting. So you can cancel your membership monthly. So you're not taking an ongoing fee from any members? Well, <laughs> the a membership, a mem this is a very interesting point. So our FDS is actually a marketing document because it says, well, we actually do include the subscription in our FDS, although it's technically not an OSA because it's not payment for advice. And which says, you paid us this amount of money, so you paid us this subscription, you paid us this advice fee, you, and we generated this commission, and we paid you this number. And the number we pay them at the bottom is usually bigger than the number at the top. So it's a better demonstration of how much better they offer our life shipper. So FDS was the greatest invention of regulation in the past five years for our business. How interesting. Mm. Vince, I have a question. I mean, your business model is membership, but for a business that isn't that model, 
what would your, and you've got the engineer brain, even though you were never were an engineer, what would your advice be to that particular business? What's their quickest win on time, efficiency, saving? I think the number one driver of your costs as an advisor is the clients you choose to work with. So if you work with clients that look broadly the same, I don't think it matters what they are as long as they all look and smell broadly the same. So choose a who. So choose choose who your who is. Who do you want to serve? So if you want to do aged care advice, well, pick people who need aged care. If you want to do spending coaching, well, pick 20-somethings who are POIG or so that they all you get good at it. Too. So you get you get good at it, you get quick at it. You know um, what they want. Yeah. So for our super advice business, eighty percent of people coming in the door are coming from six of the major funds. So you've already done your from analysis. So you know exactly what you know, host host plus Hester, Aussie, Uni Super, aware. Aware, yeah. Um, who's the fifth one? Um, you might get the old AMP one in there. Some old legacy yeah. corporate so, plans. So choose a who and get specific about what they want and replicate it, yep. Okay. That's the hardest thing to do when you're starting a practice. Like when, when you're spending all this money on if rent. If they're fogging and, a mirror, it doesn't mean they're That's right. So if they walk in, they've got a pulse in a wallet, it's so tempting to go, yes, I'll take your money. But it's going to cost you in time and effort. And if you're running your own business and it's just you, well, there's only 168 hours a month. So pick the 100 clients you're going to look after very well. And our last question, because we are getting the wrap-up from Glenn, is for that young advisor who's starting out in their journey, what do you wish you'd known when you began way back when? Not that you look a day over 20. <laughs> um, I mean, Time, times four. Glenn needs some chocolate, everyone. Yeah. Please send yeah. quick. Just coming up on three score, I think, is the technical yeah. term. <laughs> um, I, mean, I think the biggest lesson is discovering what actually matters to people. And talking about our client earlier with the medical yeah. card. Full circle, yeah. You would never have dreamt that up, right? You go and say, well... You know, you go and study my CFP or CFA or FCHCCCP or whatever it's called. Um, they don't teach you that at school. And don't assume, I think, is the point. Yeah. Like really get to know them to the point yeah. that, that you're told what's important to them. So, so our offering in that business was, you know, we were running self-managed super funds, MDAs. So investment was our thing. And in those days, RBLs and all that sort of super structuring. But that actually wasn't what they were buying. They're actually buying comfort in their retirement. And you explained to us previous to this chat, which kind of feeds into this, is that you knew who they wanted to be. You, you really spent a lot of time when you started your business mapping out the transformation journey for someone. What was the journey? How could you take them to where they wanted to be? So, yeah, so know you're someone, yeah, yeah so and our, take them where they want to be. our avatar, 29-year-old Sophie, creative or professional job, wakes up in her 29th birthday and goes, you know, I've got a good job. How come I'm not getting ahead and why can't I buy a house? That's a very powerful emotional feeling. So if you can address that, you've got a business. Just on this, before I get get cut off and we do, we do wrap up, 
it's real. Like last week, I was looking at a report actually by Harvard Business Review, and they were saying that there's emotional connectors and things that really emotively move us. And it was really interesting. Out of thousands of emotional connectors and motivators, the top ten, nine of those were synonymous with money control. Like we have a huge ability to leverage that and it sounds like how many members do you have, Vince? Um, we've got just over 10,000 on our, our email database. About 5,000 of them have created accounts on the website and we served 902 revenue-generating households last year. Boom. Mm. We're both a bit speechless at that. <laughs> I'm speechless. So you're, re- you're resonating. You're obviously resonating and, and it's working and you've really sta- you've sat down as a business and really mapped out what is the emotional problem that we can solve and transform for this particular client? And five years ago, everyone told me I was crazy. Well, you probably still are. Probably, but, um, still crazy after all these years. Still crazy with a lot of members. My last question, you rebate some insurance comp. Yep. 20 minutes later, there's a cancel policy clawback. You're letting that rebate go and just a socialist risk model? Um, well, we wear the clawback. Um, our contract with our members is they have to give back their share of it and we do have their credit cards on file, but I've never actually had to do one. As in actually, actually had to or I've actually gone, well, we got their home mortgage and get the money that way or literally... No, just- we've actually never had a a clawback. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't a replacement policy that we were doing. Um, and that's why before or, uh, before... or I got sucked into this trauma policy, getting my mortgage, and it's three months later, I've woken up from the hype. What the hell is that? Yeah. Cancel that. But that's why making sure the client understands why they're doing what they're doing Thank is you. so critical to it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then you're setting the expectation very clearly, educating around the problem, and then delivering to that expectation mm. and fixing the problem. So I'm not surprised that you haven't had... Yeah. I mean, I always thought we them. would do. Mm. And so before Lyft, we wrote everything on hybrid to try and manage that risk. Mm. Well, it did two things. It managed the risk and it also spread the rebate over the life of the policy. Yeah. So Lyft sort of improved our business in that sense. Yeah. Well, Vince Gully from Life Sherpa, thank you so much for joining us on Wish You'd Known. And we're going to get you to DJ us out, no? No, that's right. <laughs> and thank you to uh, One Path Zurich for supporting the podcast. Uh, we appreciate the support to get this industry initiative off the ground. Yeah, and improve the quality of advice. Thank you so much for joining us, Vince. It's been so lovely to hear how different um, your model is and how it's connecting with millennials. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are in the advice world and you've made it this far, my question to you is, who can you forward this episode to? Thank you so much for listening. This was made possible because of My Risk Advisor. You can head over to the Facebook group, My Risk Advisor, and join in on the conversation.